Mission is of the essence of the church's existence. The function of the church is not to be a cozy club for like-minded people who prefer not to go along with everything in contemporary society. It is a group of people committed to proclaiming the gospel and bringing others to Christ. That's what the church is all about. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to the fifth and final part of Pastor Lance Quinn's John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists from John's Gospel, Chapter 1. This is not only the final segment of this series, but also today's program marks a day of transition. Today we honor our host, Pastor Lance, on this, his final day as host and teacher for Timeless Truth Today. We have Pastor Lance on the phone with us. So, Pastor Lance, those of us who work writing and producing this program with you knew this day was coming, and yet we're still sad because of your departure. Well, I'm sad too, Matt. It seems like our earthly lives are certainly filled with goodbyes, aren't they? Yet at the same time, the Lord has clearly and providentially taken care of this whole scenario. And you know, as I leave Bethany Bible Church and the pastorate there, to go and become the vice president of the Expositor Seminary in Florida. A new pastor has emerged to take my place at Bethany Bible Church, and I think he'll do quite well there. His name is Paul Twiss, and he's a younger man than I am, and who's a very capable Bible expositor. And he's also a professor at the Master's Seminary, uh, where John MacArthur is the president. And I'm saying goodbye, though, I'm very sad. I'm so very grateful and happy all at the same time for this transition that's taking place. And you'll be hearing a lot more about Dr. Paul Twiss, who takes this mic effective on February 15th. Thank you, Pastor Lance. And I know I speak for many when I say we'll miss you. We've all come to love you as our teacher, and we pray for your future in helping train new pastors at the Expositor's Seminary. And I encourage our listeners to stay tuned for the end of this program for more information about Monday's show, where Pastor Lance will introduce and interview Pastor Paul Twiss. Now here's part five, the conclusion of John the Baptist and Jesus as evangelists. We don't know how many people the Lord is intending to use us to bring to Christ. And in one sense, that really doesn't matter because it's his job to do that. It's our job to scatter the seed and he will produce the results. We just go to everyone in our sphere of influence, and we scatter that spiritual seed, and we endeavor to find those who are genuine disciples of Jesus Christ, and we let God worry about the results. In fact, that could be a good definition of what witnessing is all about. You take the initiative to spread the word of God and the cross of Jesus Christ to others, and you allow God to worry about the results. That's what Philip is doing. You say, how effective was Philip? Oh, this is amazing. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. You want to see if Philip got the message of Jesus finding him and then Philip endeavoring to find others like his brother Nathaniel? You, you see this. This is amazing. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. That's his heart. In fact, he became so known as a proclaimer of Christ that we know him as Philip the Evangelist. And he began proclaiming Christ to them. 
The crowds with one accord, verse 6 says, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Verse 25, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. They were reaching out to non-Jews. And then verse 26, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So many of you have heard about Gaza in the news today, right? That's where he was. Verse 27, So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. You say, well, that's easy because he got divine revelation. Well, It's because the New Testament hadn't yet been fully written. Needed the Lord to tell him where to go and what to do. And verse 30 says it. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? Hey, that's a great evangelistic question, right? You read the Bible? Oh, yes, I've read the Bible. Do you understand what you read? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. And is this poignant for our morning message? He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Philip was a witnessing machine. And the Lord wanted just to snatch him away and put him in, a, in another spot and say, tell him again, tell him again. This is amazing. And this all started from Philip being found by Christ. It's amazing. By the way, it's the only time in the gospel that you and I are seeing Jesus specifically initiating the finding of someone. Isn't that amazing? No wonder he becomes Philip the evangelist of Acts 8. This is an amazing thing. How about Nathaniel? Here's the the third person mentioned here. He finds, does Philip, Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, we found him. And then in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, there is no guile. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You remember I said to you last time, that this could be spoken somewhat literally, right? He was literally under the fig tree and Jesus saw him. Or, as is the case in the language of the day, that phrase, sitting under the fig tree, could be spoken of metaphorically to be a person, whether they're sitting under a fig tree or not, who is actually, by that phraseology, speaking of someone who's meditating on the Scripture. 
Now we know that if he's a man without guile, and if he's an Israelite indeed, then maybe either literally sitting under that fig tree reading the scripture, or figuratively reading or meditating on the scripture, Jesus has been found by his brother Philip. Philip comes to him. He tells him about the Lord. He comes to the Lord and the Lord miraculously says, I saw you. He knows that he's the Lord. And he says what he says in verse 49. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's converted right on the spot. The Lord comes to him. These are three examples that John wants us to see in black and white terms who are those disciples who see immediately the need to reach out to others so that they might become disciples. Folks, this is not just some kind of narrative where John tells us about people whom Jesus found. It's about people whom Jesus found who then seek to find others. That's what we're being taught. That's what we're being convicted by. We're all being convicted by this, even as I speak, because all of us know that it is our job, it is our joy, even in our job, to bring others to the Lord. You know, if, if we were supposed to be on this earth to be involved in worship, then we ought to go to heaven where, where heaven has perfect worship, right? If we're here converted to read and study and know the Bible so that we might know it truly and fully, then why don't we go to heaven because there the Word of God is perfect and our minds will be perfect without sin so that we could know the Word of God perfectly. No, the reason why we are here on this earth after our conversion and before our glorification is so that you and I might evangelize those around us. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's what we're all about. This is, this is an amazing thing for us because it recalibrates the mindset that all of us should have about the people around us who need to know the Lord and our need to talk to them about Him. It should recalibrate us. It should tell us that there are a lot of worries and a lot of issues and a lot of challenges in living the Christian life. And they're not all having to do with evangelism, to be sure. But if we're dealing with all of those things and we're not evangelizing at the same time, then we need to be convicted that our priorities are out of order. True disciples seek to bring other disciples to the Lord. Here's a second principle that I want you to see this morning, very quickly. True disciples of Jesus have much to learn and much to impart. True disciples of Jesus have much to learn and much to impart. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is this, that if we're going to be effective disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to know the gospel intimately. And we need to know the word of God to the degree that even these disciples as faithful Jewish boys understood the moment they perceived by God opening their eyes that this Jesus of Nazareth was truly the Son of God. They had studied and knew their Torah, their Old Testament well enough that when their eyes were opened, they knew immediately who the Lord was. And it was Jesus of Nazareth. Which then relates to us that when we come to speaking of people who need to know the Lord and they raise objections and they ask us questions and they're confused and they don't know the Old Testament at all. Maybe some of them don't even know an Old Testament exists and maybe some of them don't even know a New Testament exists. 
I heard a testimony of someone one time where they said they honestly believed when the gospel was first shared with them that when someone referred to the New Testament, they thought the New Testament was the translation of the Old Testament. You see, we have no idea what some people who come across our path know or don't know about the saving gospel or the Word of God or the Old Testament or the New Testament or what it means to be a Christian or who is Jesus and why aren't there other Jesuses around and are there other Messiahs and who says Jesus is the Messiah and how can you prove that? And what about all of the other religions? Aren't they as valid paths to God as Christianity? And on and on it goes. You see, it's not enough just to evangelize and bring other disciples into the fold by God's sovereign power, but we ourselves must learn much so that we can impart much. There are going to be evidences that we have to work through. There are going to be challenges to getting someone to believe that the cross of Jesus Christ is the only acceptable saving way to God. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, always being ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. It's not enough just to be an evangelizing disciple, but we must be a studied disciple so that we can overcome, and I'm speaking, of course, humanly by God's sovereign decree, overcoming the resistances to the gospel from people that we'll talk to. So we need to study much and to learn much. Now, does that mean that all of us need to become professional apologists for the faith? No. And God doesn't expect that. He's not asking us to become so well-versed that we can answer every single objection to those who aren't interested in the gospel or to those who may have valid questions about the gospel. No, the Lord is so kind and so gracious and providentially will put you in the path of people who simply want a straightforward word from you about who Jesus is. And if he puts you along the path of someone who has the kind of objections for which you're intimidated, then guess what? We have others in the body of Christ who can help us with that. And we often do. I often have people come to me and say, I need a resource. I need to be able to answer this question. I need to be able to answer this particular cultist. And and we can give you those answers because when I don't have those answers, guess what? I take it up the line and say to someone who has more knowledge than I do, teach me what you know. In fact, isn't that what discipleship is all about? You find someone who knows more than you do and you ask them to tell you what they know. And then you find someone who knows less than you do and you tell them what you know. That's discipleship. That's what it is. You love them, you care for them, you speak the truth to them, and you give them a sense of the things which they do not know from your heart. And when you come up against those who know more than you, that's great. You ask them to teach you what they know. That's the essence of studying and imparting truth to those around you. All right, so three points of application, all right? Three points of application. Here they are. Number one, do your best to find reproducing disciples. Do your best to find reproducing disciples. What do I mean by that? 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful, faithful men. Find disciples, find committed believers in Christ who are interested in reproducing themselves and others and spend time with them. Seek them out. Learn from them and teach them. Okay, do your best to find reproducing disciples. Go to a Bible study. In fact, go to a new Bible study in Burbank if you live around there. Right? 
Go to a Bible study. Don't be a lone ranger Christian. Don't sit by yourself. If you sit by yourself, you will sit sulk and sour. I want you to get with other believers and find out what they know and then turn around and find those who are less knowledgeable as yourself and teach them what you know. Find reproducing disciples and teach them and learn from them. Number two, do your best to witness to others around you with the truth of the gospel. Do your best to witness to others around you with the truth of the gospel. In other words, with that first application point, have discerning faithfulness. Discern who is really a faithful person and spend time with them. You remember in John 6, Jesus had a bunch of would-be followers and he gave them the hard demands of the gospel. And it says in John 6, 66, that there were those who were not following him anymore. Well, you know what? He didn't run after them. He was interested in the ones who were discerningly faithful, right? And secondly, he takes those disciples and he sends them out to preach. In other words, there's evangelistic zeal because those were the ones who were really interested in finding others for Christ. So with the first point, discerning faithfulness, the second point, evangelistic zeal. And then thirdly, we could call this committed discipleship. Do what you can to learn from the Word of God and then impart it to others. Do what you can to learn as much from the Word of God and then impart it to others. That's committed discipleship. You have discerning faithfulness. God, whom will you give me in my sphere of influence so that I can teach them or learn from them? And secondly, together we can go out and witness to the truth of the gospel. And thirdly, we can study much so that we might be able to impart much. Let me close with this. You know, when I was thinking about Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel here in the latter part of John 1, I was so edified and so encouraged by a wonderful book by Leon Morris called Expository Reflections on the Gospel of John. Listen to what he says about these three men. First, this is what he says about Andrew. William Temple is reported to have said that the church is the one organization among men that exists purely for the benefit of non-members. <laughs> That's good. In this striking way, he brought out the truth that mission is of the essence of the church's existence. The function of the church is not to be a cozy club for like-minded people who prefer not to go along with everything in contemporary society. It is a group of people committed to proclaiming the gospel and bringing others to Christ. That's what the church is all about. And then Leon Morris says this, Andrew understood this function of the church very well. He seems not to have tried to fasten attention on himself, but was concerned simply with getting people to come to Jesus. That for him was the thing that mattered. Morris goes on to write, There is nothing to indicate that he, that is Andrew, was a great man and much to indicate that he was rather a humble person. But he had one thing going for him. He could and did bring people to Jesus. That is what counts. Lowly service is important. Let us never forget that it was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew may not have been able to do great things, but he brought Peter to Jesus, and Peter did great things. From a human point of view, it is impossible to see how those great things would ever have been accomplished had not Andrew played his part so well. Morris ends his statement on Andrew by saying this, Again and again, we see in the shadows of great Christian leaders, humble people who themselves could never do great deeds, but who knew the importance of bringing men to Christ. Without them, the history of the church would have been very different and far less successful. It is still the case that there is need for people like Andrew, lots of them. 
The Lord raises up very few great leaders, but He calls many followers, people who will work humbly in lowly places and in this way set His great purpose forward. Few things are more important for the Christian than lowly service well done. By the way, the Greek name Andrew means manly. And he was truly a man's man because he brought other men to Christ. What about Philip? Morris writes this, Obviously, Philip had his limitations. And I, for one, find that comforting. We generally think of our Lord's 12 apostles as something special. They represent the inner circle, the aristocracy of the Christian church. There is nobody we can set alongside the apostles. And very naturally, we make giants out of them. We see them as some kind of super-Christians, people infinitely higher than the likes of us. But were they? Were they? Philip wasn't. I find Philip very encouraging. I can find no outstanding quality about him. Nothing that makes him great. But there he is among Jesus' chosen twelve. Any and ordinary person like me can learn that God has a place in his service for the lowliest. He still wants and uses the service of his Philip's Let us then not be discouraged by our limitations, but let us be encouraged and go forward to do whatever small piece of service God has for us to do. Aren't you encouraged by that? I mean, you you see these 12 apostles and they're, you know, apostles with a capital A and they're sitting on 12 thrones and I could never ascend to that level. And Leon Morris says, you know, they were actually nothing special, nothing special. And what about Nathaniel? (laughs) His name means God has given. And you know what God gave him? Faith. And you know what he did? He went from skepticism to faith. You remember what he said? What good thing can come from Nazareth? Well, he found out, didn't he? He went from skepticism to faith. He went from questioning to teaching. He went from learning to imparting. You know, I suspect that he was meditating maybe himself on Isaiah 53. And when the Lord saw him and he was touched by God, all the doubt flew away. And Nathaniel said, truly, this is the Son of God, the King of Israel. Let's bow together. Father, is it possible that you could use the likes of old, ordinary us? We are nothing special, none of us. Indeed, didn't Paul say to the Corinthians, not many noble, not many mighty. We're just us, just ordinary people living our lives, going to work, going to school, doing what we can to be faithful May we examine our faithfulness as to whether or not we're truly seeking out disciples of Jesus, finding out those to whom you will open the eyes of faith, just like Nathaniel, doubting, skeptical, and then seeing the true Jesus. And Philip, who was found and then found others. And then Andrew, who was one who found first his own brother. Maybe it was because... He knew that his own brother most importantly and most urgently needed to know the Lord. He went to family members. Lord, may it be that we need to go to family members. We need to go to friends, those that we know that don't know the Lord. And we've been intimidated. We've been scared. We've been fearful in speaking a word of the gospel to them. May you challenge us that if we're truly disciples of yours, we will seek to make disciples of others. And we will seek to study and to learn more so that we can impart more of what we know. May this reverberate in our minds and recalibrate our worship so that we could be done with lesser things and we could be about the business of what you called us to do uniquely here on this earth. Pray that we'd be faithful in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. We hope you've been inspired by Pastor Lance's insight into the early evangelism of John the Baptist and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You've just seen how, quote, nobodies like Andrew, Nathaniel, and Philip's hearts were set ablaze by their master, disciple-maker, Jesus Christ. Let's all pray for that same anointing to reach needy souls around us for Christ. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Come Monday, be listening for a special presentation of Timeless Truth Today as Pastor Lance introduces and interviews the new pastor for Bethany Bible Church and new teacher for this program, Pastor Paul Twiss. That's coming up on Monday. You'll want to hear this program. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.